I hope that every American, regardless of where he lives, will stop and examine his conscience about this and other related incidents. This nation was founded by men of many nations and backgrounds. It was founded on the principle that all men are created equal, and that the rights of every man are diminished, and the rights of one man are threatened. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Think about the most memorable State of the Union speech you've seen. Was it when a congressman shouted, you lie, during one of President Obama's addresses? Was it watching President George W. Bush walking down the center aisle just a few short months after 9-11? Or maybe you think more about the interesting expressions made by the vice president and speaker of the house as they sit behind the president. Whatever the moment is, you probably don't remember much about the speech itself. The State of the Union is rarely exciting. Instead, it's a policy-heavy speech punctuated by partisan cheering. So what are the best presidential speeches in history and what makes a president's words ring throughout history? Here To help us sort through that is Mark Crewman, director of the Center for the Study of Citizenship, uh, also a professor of history here at Wayne State University. Mark, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Thank you, Stephen. Pleased to be back. Thank you. Sure. Uh, uh, As we heard there, that was uh, 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 a speech, a television address by John F. Kennedy addressing the nation after National Guardsmen had to go to the University of Alabama to allow black students uh, onto campus to attend classes. That's a speech I bet lots of people remember if they saw it. Uh, it's certainly a speech that that uh, those of us who are a little too young to remember that have read about or, or heard uh, in history classes. But it stands out because it is a speech that you remember that the president gave, and there just, there just aren't that many. I mean, as effective uh, as... Presidents are at using words to advance their agenda. I feel like the State of the Union speech uh, often falls sort of short in that way, in the sense of uh, leveraging that power for uh, for the value that it could have. Well, I think that that's true, but it speaks to the purpose of the State of the Union. Uh, we haven't used the word union to refer to the United States since after the Civil War. That's true. (laughs) And so it speaks to an original requirement that the president provide an annual report on the State of the Union and to recommend legislation to the Congress. And and recommending that legislation is one of the things that that gets done. But but even there, uh, often we see it come up short. That that the things that the president talks about, yeah, Congress is sort of uninterested in as a policy matter. Well, I think that that partly depends on the relationship of the president to the party in power in Congress, mm-hmm. and the consequence uh, can be quite great. Um, You hearken back to Lincoln's uh, second State of the Union address, Mm -hmm. Uh, all of, by the way, after John Adams were 
written messages. Right. So in terms of uh, presentation as speech, that didn't happen until uh, Woodrow Wilson's administration. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But if you go back, the State of the Union holds out the opportunity to see where Congress is headed, but also to lay out where the president sees the country and often foreign relations. The Monroe Doctrine was embedded in one of James Monroe's State of the Union messages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder what you make of this president and his opportunity uh, as he gives his first State of the Union address. I mean, this is someone who has done the job quite differently from anyone that that we've seen before. It's somebody who's made a very different uh, use of the power of words and messaging to get his ideas across, to cajole or insult other people into doing what uh, what he wants them to do. Uh, wh- what do you make of, of the role that this speech could play for this president in this administration? I think that the challenge for President Trump is, in fact, one where he will, as he has recently done, take credit for the economy uh, and for the stock market. That is, he will say that the State of the Union is good and that uh, my guess is that he will take credit for that. And beyond that is the challenge of what he will recommend to Congress because his own party controls both houses, however precariously. And I think that uh, that becomes an issue because it'll be a way of gauging the president's ability to lead the Republican Party in policymaking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Mark Krumen. He's the director of the Center, Center for Study of Citizenship. He's also a professor of history at Wayne State University. We are talking about the role that the State of the Union speech has played over the years uh, for different presidents at different times. What are the speeches in presidential history that you remember? And why do you remember them? Do you remember them as moments or do you remember them for the words that the president spoke uh, when he addressed Congress, uh, the joint session of Congress, as he does each year? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Dan in Detroit. Dan, welcome to Detroit. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks. Hey, uh, this related to this conversation, but probably, you know, to the previous conversation, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of, you know, a a year watching over the year with, with President Trump. And, um, you know, it, it, you, would, you would hope that a president would sort of um, learn to be president and sort of lean in and, uh, you know, sort of, re- sort of take the job and respect the job and, 
and I just think he he seems to be uh, very disinterested in the whole notion of being president. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the idea of the you know, sort of due diligence on these issues, the consistency, you're not sure what's going to happen after the speech, the sort of, um, uh, you know, loss of focus. And, you you, you know, I, I'm an American. Every You sort of want to give the president the benefit of the doubt that, look, if there's a learning curve. But, I mean, I just, um, it seems like he, he's gone backwards. Yeah. Here. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people feel that way. And the question in my mind, uh, trying to, to, of course, give him something of the benefit of the doubt, is whether what he's doing is just unconventional, which we know it is, uh, and maybe purposefully unconventional, unconventional, or whether, as you point out, is a sign of laziness or disinterest in in the work and I don't know I don't know that I've seen enough yet to to determine for sure what's going on I mean I think uh, that there are sort of uh, examples on both sides of that argument that uh, that we've seen so far but Mark Ruman I'm I'm curious about your reaction to the idea of the president's attentiveness and interest uh, in this job I think he's demonstrated an interest in being a leader and a disinterest in the details of governing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that part is evident in almost every day. And... and, uh, and sometimes, uh, sometimes we we see presidents have to adjust, right? They get elected, they have all of these ideas about what they want to do. Uh, they get into the job; it looks different. Uh, the, the 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 barriers to to getting things done are 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 higher. Uh, working with Congress is is more difficult. Do you feel like that is some of what we're seeing here, or is this somebody who's just not equipped? to deal with the the rigors and the difficulties of the job and then has a personality that leads him to these sort of explosive outbursts about uh, those frustrations? Well, I think that partly the the president was expecting things to go more smoothly, Uh, but I also think that from his point of view, He has, in fact, followed through on uh, important policies or positions that he has avowed or avowed during his campaign, like the persistent emphasis on building the wall, Mm -hmm. uh, the movement to ban people coming in from Muslim countries, and uh, the tax cut. Right. So I think that from his perspective, the role of the chief executive is uh, is as leader, and that the particular details matter only in particular cases. Right. Right. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Call and tell us about presidential speeches that you remember. Presidential speeches. 
maybe you have forgotten uh, other kinds of things that that presidents have said from time to time that stick out in your mind. Were you alive and remember President Kennedy asking what you could do for your country? Uh, how how prominently does something like uh, FDR discussing the nature of fear? Uh, in front of Congress, uh, or uh, actually at his uh, inaugural. Uh, how prominently does that sort of stick out in your mind? 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, uh, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will work you into the conversation. Courtney on Twitter says, I despise 45 speaking style. He sounds like he's trying to rally a gym of high school students during student council vote week. Uh, Tiffany on Twitter says he won't stick to the script. He'll gloat and take full credit for the economy. Other than mentioning how bad immigration is, I'm not hopeful that he'll address how to resolve it. He'll talk about more military spending. I just can't. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number uh, on the phones. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about presidential speeches in history. Uh, stay with us, and stay with us on the phones. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That, of course, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, during his first inaugural speech, delivering a line that many people still remember. We are talking right now about presidential speeches uh, and the role they play not only in politics uh, but in history uh, on the anticipation of. Donald Trump's first State of the Union address, which is scheduled to be given before a joint session of Congress tonight. Uh, my guest is Mark Kruman. He's the director of the Center for the Study of Citizenship and a professor of history at Wayne State University. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So it's 313-577-1019. Uh, tell us what you think about presidential speeches. Which presidential speeches do you remember uh, and why? Uh, which presidential speeches stand out to you as having happened at pivotal moments where uh, they sent the country or the conversation about the country in a different direction? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Mark, let's talk about uh, the speeches that, in your mind, stand out uh, that presidents have given either as State of the Union, uh, inaugural, other moments. Uh, Stephen, I think that the uh, crucial time for a memorable speech has almost always been the inaugural address, especially if it's in a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. But the inaugural address is the president's opportunity to talk about 
a presidential vision for the future, uh-huh. and it shapes the way in which people respond to it. And so you were playing FDR's uh, first inaugural address. It r- resonates powerfully. John Kennedy's inaugural address, uh, Ronald Reagan's Morning in America mm-hmm. inaugural address. Uh, you can see uh, what George H.W. Bush derided as the vision thing, but the reality is it's the vision thing that is most compelling. And so his son's uh, first and second inaugural addresses laid out particular vision, as did President Obama's. And, for example, uh, President Obama laid out a vision that really has carried him not only through his two administrations, but his post-presidential career as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember I was at the first and second inaugural for uh, President Obama standing just in front of the the, the Capitol listening. Uh, The first address, I thought— um, and I wrote at the time about how it borrowed, uh, I think, in structure and in, in tone in, in some ways from some historical speeches. Uh, and, and my memory is uh, that, the, that uh, it had important parallels to the inaugural that Teddy Roosevelt uh, had, had given. Um, and and I, it made me wonder how much of that we see uh, in presidential inaugurals sort of the echo of another president uh, or another moment showing up uh, in the speech of, of somebody who's just coming into office? Well, I, I think that the, to me, the echo that President Obama was looking for was Lincoln. And yes. he used the same Bible uh, to take the oath of office mm-hmm. that Lincoln had. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that he was... Uh, building important uh, continuity with the idea of social change. Right, yeah. uh, A kind of continuity of change. And I think that his inaugural address was focusing on his particular conception of citizenship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, And he was calling, I think the nation at that point to a higher higher awareness of the idea of citizenship and of the bond that we are supposed to have with one another specifically to try to heal uh, you know the wounds that had been opened up by the crash uh, and by uh, the, the the tumult uh, the, the the wars that had sprung up over the last administration uh, I mean I, I felt like he tried to use that speech as a rallying point for Americans. Donald Trump, in his in his own way, I think, would say that's what he was doing, but that struck a very different tone. Yes. I, he certainly uh, was articulating it differently, but it these all resonate with the idea of unity, a desire for citizens to come together and what uh, Richard Nixon talked about in 69 <laughs> about mm-hmm. moving forward together. Yes. And it's what resonated in 
uh, John Kennedy's inaugural address, which in its own way was also about citizenship. Yeah, an explicit call to, to citizenship, to greater citizenship. Right. Uh, you know, I, I also think of, of Lincoln's second inaugural, which is thought of as uh, a, a quite a pivotal moment. Uh, he, he's trying to get uh, the country to, to think of uh, what's next, right? That this will, will sort of persevere beyond, uh, beyond this war. And uh, in, in very, you know, soaring phrases, uh, he's also trying to bring people together. It's, uh, it remains, uh, in my view, the uh, most extraordinary presidential address capturing in just a few words not very long right uh, the uh, the meaning of the war uh, the meaning of freedom and the binding of wounds uh, as the war is coming to an end and and i wonder also how how history views these speeches perhaps differently than the the sort of contemporary reaction to them so in other words Lincoln gives his second inaugural uh, at a very precarious time in in U.S. history. <clears throat> Did people at that point respond the way we do now in terms of recognizing it for you know the the oratory heights that it that it hits, but also uh, that sort of high mindedness, uh, or or were people angry? You know that that he gave this speech um, uh, at that time because. There were so many. There were so many things unsettled. There were so many things still, uh, still being fought. Well, for Lincoln, the issue of uh, Reconstruction lay ahead. Mm -hmm. But in March 1865, his uh, political star in the North had risen uh, with the success of the Union Army. Mm -hmm. So the war was clearly coming to an end and looking forward to the future was, uh, was inevitable. And so laying out a vision for the future was welcomed by, as one might expect, by Republicans mm -hmm. and less well received by Democrats and not especially favorably received <laughs> by white Southerners. Right. Right, who were still, I think, uh, you know, obviously feeling the sting of uh, of the war and the issues surrounding uh, the war. You know, before we end, uh, I, I wonder what what possibility you hold out for Donald Trump to to redirect, I guess, uh, his presidency at, at the State of the Union speech, uh, you know, it's a presidency that, that already faces <clears throat> an enormous amount of trouble for as little amount of time as it's been around. You know, is this a chance to, to put some of that not behind him, but maybe cast it in a different light and try to move forward on a different path? I'd be surprised if he sought to redirect it and he might expectation would be that he would cast the future uh, in terms of continuity mm -hmm. with what he will argue was the 
successful first year of his presidency and where I would imagine recommendations will go will focus on infrastructure and uh, lay out at least some plan for uh, rebuilding the uh, kind of sorry state of our infrastructure. Right. I mean, that's an issue that that does give him an opportunity for uh, a, a different kind of conversation. You got people on both sides of the aisle uh, who who support that, uh, and and you know it's an opportunity to show himself to be bigger than the political bickering that that surrounds the rest of his presidency. A good point. Yeah. Okay, Mark Kruman, uh, director of the Center for the Study of Citizenship, professor of history at Wayne State University. As always, thanks for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, That's going to do it for us today. And remember, if you missed any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can hear this show and all other past editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Download and subscribe us to us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. Tomorrow, we are going to unpack what's happening after the State of the Union, uh, and we will try again to get Evan McMillan on to talk about what is going on in the FBI. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Associate producers are Ziad Butch and Gus Navarro. And Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. Talk to you tomorrow.